Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. Hi guys. So for this episode, I will be myself solo reporting on some of the fascinating wildlife and conservation things I have learned as my brother Oliver and I traveled northern Queensland. I would love to share it all with you. This includes crocs, the prehistoric bird, the cassowary, and dingoes. I would also like to take this opportunity to say a big thank you for the support of my podcast show. Always apologies for any technicality, glitches and such, uh, not always being very polished, but hey, massive and perfect action is my motto and it certainly has been a steep learning curve and I'm having fun sharing the journey with you. Uh, In brief, before we get into the animals and conservation, Oliver and I have done some epic distance in travel. We have travelled from Airlie Beach in central Queensland all the way up to Cooktown, a thousand k's north of Airlie Beach into northern Queensland. Out of interest, the distance between Airlie Beach to Cooktown is the same distance as, say, Sydney to Noosa. Uh, You could almost put the east coast of Australia up into three from Sydney, um, so 1,000 k's Sydney to Noosa, 1,000 k's Noosa to Airlie Beach, and 1,000 k's Airlie Beach to Cooktown. Uh, or at least that is how I have been seeing it. So just some perspective on distance there. We visited some amazing places along the way, Airlie Beach to Cooktown, which included stunning waterfalls like Murray Falls, past Mission Beach, which was an enormous and tropical beach, through Townsville, into the Tablelands, which was green and lush outside of Cairns, where we did a beautiful waterfall circuit of Miller Miller Falls, Zilly Falls, and Alinja Falls. In Cairns, we did Sky Rail over the rainforest there, the wet tropics of Queensland, the world's oldest continually surviving tropical rainforest, and up into Port Douglas, which was actually easily our top vote for the most attractive town visited so far in Australia. It had a real charm about it with old-fashioned Australian architecture, uh, wraparound porches, and well-cared-for and maintained landscaping. Uh, In Port Douglas, we did a day scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef, where we did three dives on the outer Great Barrier Reef, which was spectacular. We saw many, many different types of reef fish and coral, The highlight for me was probably uh, just getting up close seeing a clownfish hiding in the sea anemone. Um, I just loved watching him or her. Uh, We have footage of this and I'll have to share on our Instagram, Vet Chloe. Um, Always go to Vet Chloe, the Instagram. I do share um, a lot of photos and drone photography there. And it's also on my website, vetchloe.com, which has a um, a photo tab there. Um, I'm happy to report that I did not see any coral bleaching while scuba diving, and the coral looked very happy and healthy. We just so happened to dive out of Port Douglas um, instead of Cairns, but actually we were told that the reef is said to be healthier out of Port Douglas because it is not so heavily affected by the sugarcane runoff of Cairns. It was great to experience marine life after so much time on land. Diving is such an incredible and immersive experience. Um, I would say that the drone flying gives you the feeling of being a bird. (laughs) Pretty cool. And diving gives you the feeling of 
being and what all the marine animals experience. And I feel that connecting in these different ways, if you can, helps you get a different perspective and a greater respect for other animals and how they live. If you haven't scuba dived yet, do it. And if you do scuba dive, do more of it. That's my advice. Um, And I certainly hope to do more of it myself. So throughout this whole time of being in northern Queensland, we have had more of our wits about us, all animals we would love to see, but some we are more cautious about, such as snakes and crocodiles, and some we would love to see as they are so rare to see in the wild, such as the cassowary and the dingo. So the title of this podcast is Crocs, Cassowaries and Dingoes. Okay, so let's get straight into perhaps your first question, which is what is a cassowary? They are huge non-flying birds that live in New Guinea, northeastern eastern Queensland, and nearby islands. They are very unusual and striking looking. Starting from the top, cassowaries have this bony protrusion, which is covered in keratin, the same material as our fingernails. This is called a cask and develops when the bird is about two years old. It might be used to push aside forest underbush or even to attract the opposite sex. Or an interesting hypothesis is that it helps them emit these very deep bellows, the lowest bird call known to man. It actually could be like a resonation chamber, that cask. Um, Certain crested dinosaurs produced various calls in this way, which is interesting. They have a royal blue neck and shaggy jet black feathers with a red dangling wattle. They are most unusual. I'll share a photo um, in the show notes and I have a video of one which I'll pop up onto the Instagram vet Chloe. Uh, I always find video really uh, so much more engaging. You can really see how they move, uh, comes alive. So after ostriches, the southern cassowary, because there are three different species, the southern cassowary is the second heaviest bird in the world. They can stand five foot six inches tall and they can weigh about 57 kilos or 125 pounds. So um, I guess about my weight and a couple inches taller. Um, And reading from a fun and factual website called mentalfloss.com, let me fill you in on some of the dangers of them. Cassowaries are shy, reclusive creatures, but when threatened or cornered, they can become aggressive, striking back with powerful headbutts and pecks. The most dangerous weapon in their arsenal is a razor-sharp claw on the inner toe of each foot, which in southern cassowaries grows to be five inches long. The birds develop a series of downward kicks with their hind legs that have been known to break bones and cause serious laceration. With a well-placed strike, the claws can rip open a human belly or throat. (laughs) so yeah read that on this website sorry for being a bit horrific but it's just another thing I had to learn and add to the list of what to watch out for Um, certainly locals were just saying you know just be cautious of the cassowaries (laughs) Um, and also worth noting they can jump five feet off the ground and they can run about 48 k's an hour or about 30 miles an hour what is Extra fascinating about the cassowaries is that the male cassowaries actually rear the chicks. So after the females lay the eggs, uh, her job is over. For the next 50 days or so, each cassowary dad incubates his clutch. During this period, an expectant father never leaves the nest, not even to eat or drink. He even enters a strange state where he doesn't even need to go to the bathroom until these eggs are hatched. Once they do, dad spends the next nine months raising and defending his chicks. The male also teaches his growing birds how to forage so that when he eventually chases them away, the youngsters can fend for themselves. So don't you love it when the male-female roles uh, are just shook up? Um, I always do and find it fascinating in the animal world. 
So cassowaries, they dine on fruits and berries that fall to the ground. They have to eat about five kilos or 11 pounds per day. And along with fungi, dead animals, they also do hunt. Uh, they can hunt down some live critters such as rodents and lizards. So there you go. And despite the secluded boardwalk and waterfall trails quietly walked by Oliver and I, we were not able to see any cassowaries in the wild. Uh, but we did realize it was going to be super, super um, special if we did. But we did see some at Hartley's Crocodile Adventures, an award-winning ecotourism attraction. And wow, the cassowary, what an incredible animal. But it always breaks my heart seeing a wild animal in captivity. Um, again, I know it's in the name of teaching um, and there is conservation behind these wildlife parks, but it is never as exciting as seeing them in the wild. Despite it being a terribly touristy wildlife park, Hartley's was worth the visit as I learned more about croc conservation. There are two types of crocodiles in Australia, the estuary or salty uh, crocodile and the freshwater crocodile. At Hartley's they are all saltwater crocodiles and they are crocodiles that have often been removed from human crocodile conflict areas. Some of you may have seen my recent post on Insta, Vet Chloe, showing the 18-month-old crocs in the croc farming pens. Now the idea of croc farming sat a bit funny with me too, but let me read you my Instagram caption to fill you in between the link of croc farming and croc conservation. This is what I learned. In 1974, the Queensland government declared crocodiles a protected species, and this has also since become Australian federal law. Extensive hunting of crocs for their skins in the 1950s and 1960s brought both the estuary, saltwater, and freshwater crocodile to near extinction. Unlike some animals, the worldwide trade in crocodiles and crocodile products is regulated by international law. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature, IUCN, encourages the sustainable use of crocodiles for skin and meat production as a legitimate conservation tool. How do you feel about the theory or practice that croc farming saves them? The thinking is that the monetary value of farmed crocodiles reduces or eliminates hunting pressure on wild populations and promotes public understanding and acceptance of the role that crocodiles play as the supreme wetland predator. For me, although I wish we did not have to kill and could protect for the sake of protecting, for the big picture, I am happy if this theory or practice works, and it seems to be. From around 5,000 estimated crocs in the mid-90s, northern Australia now has around 200,000 from this adopted system. Successful conservation has to be holistic, with the animal, environment and human issues all considered. A designer crocodile suitcase ensemble can sell for half a million. I know, crazy. In the guide's opinion at Hartley's Crocodile Adventures, if there were no croc farms to legally source the croc skin, Australian poachers, much like the African poachers of elephants for ivory, would be tempted and poaching would be a major problem. He believes that if Africa adopted this same approach for elephants and ivory, elephants would not be under such threat. Food for thought. Not the first time I have heard that wildlife needs to have a price tag to survive. Murky waters conservation. So that is me just reading out my, my blurb from my croc farming Instagram post. And definitely a lot of food for thought there. Um, hope you found that of interest. I would love to delve deeper into the subject as we cross over into Kakadu National Park in Northern Territory. So we'll, um, we'll just have to put that aside for now. Oliver and I did see a saltwater croc in the wild on our own. Oliver was quite adamant on doing this, which was awesome. Um, and with his determination, we did. I remember from our last trip in Oz together about 11 years ago, he was obsessed with crocs <laughs> uh, then too. 
to. There is something more satisfying about finding a wild animal yourself instead of on a tour in the wild. We started this salty in Cape Tribulation, which is an epic journey north of Port Douglas, beyond the ferry ride across the Daintree River, and zigzagging through the Daintree rainforest is when you reach it. Uh, a video, again, on my Instagram vet, Chloe, shows the footage of this spectacular environment, just to give you a bit more of an insight. Now, crocs are seriously not something to mess with. This leads me to fill you in on a story we heard before heading into croc territory, just for a bit of fun. We all love a story. So about 18 months ago, uh, warning, it is a scary story, um, about 18 months ago, uh, where we were camping at Cape Trip Camping, two women one evening were warned by the barman not to swim on the beach when he saw them head off that way. A crocodile the night before had been seen to be eating a turtle on the beach there. The woman assured they wouldn't, but later that night, one of the women came back into the camp screaming that her friend had been taken by a croc. Her leg was injured by the croc, seizing her friend next to her. The woman that survived denied that they had been swimming, but after a week broke down and confessed that yes, they had been skinny dipping. A chopper or helicopter scoured the area for uh, with searchlights into the morning. Wendy from podcast episode four, if you remember, was there that night and remembers hearing the chopper. They found an enormous crocodile um, in the helicopter looking down with a human torso in his mouth, displaying it to all the other crocs as it swam up and down the main river, uh, displaying, showing off, you know. Oh, shivers. So um, now we do not know if this croc was the one that killed the woman or was this the alpha croc that seized it off a smaller croc uh, just to um, show that he was dominant. Anyhow, the authorities wanted him killed as it was bad publicity for the area. On their boat, they were not able to get close enough to him to shoot him. Uh, the tour guides were having bad business as the authority boats were driving around with different sounding engines and scaring all the crocs away. Uh, so one of the tour guides wanting this all to end said that he could get them close to the croc if they wanted because um, they were not scared by his familiar engine sound. Sadly, the croc was shot and killed. The worry that a croc will become a man-killer uh, is there, but the evidence is weak. Sometimes what the authorities do if they're not sure if a certain croc has recently eaten a human is set up simple traps on the shore, which are baited. Uh, once in the trap, the croc then has a noose placed over its uh, top jaw, and they're able to place a plastic tube at the back of their throat with a hose pipe going in with flowing water which makes them regurgitate and then they see if there's human remains as evidence there Ugh. so okay hopefully this story highlights how we had our wits about us going into this territory pretty scary uh the threat of crocs is very much real um so we had to really uh you know it's hot 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 but you cannot swim on those beaches you do not even want to be close to the water's edge or um you definitely want to camp about four or five meters back from the water's edge. We were much further in camping, uh, but definitely you've got to be very careful and they can run very fast. So on our way out of Cape Trib, through a connection, we got introduced to Justin White, who owns a wildlife camping and caravan park and does a fair bit of wildlife caring himself. He was a wonderful man and was very generous with his time. He really puts the animals he cares for first and unfortunately, I could not interview him as he was soon to head off on a family camping trip. But I was so grateful for his time anyhow. And I'll tell you a bit about uh, what I learned from him. Uh, so he showed us lots of different animals. He has surrendered pet parrots from people who could not give them the time that they needed. 
And because they were raised in captivity, they could not survive in the wild now. So he has the ideal setup where they have these uh, great big uh, perches on the campgrounds to chat with all the visitors. Some parrots need about five hours a day of interaction. So they really are a super intense um, pet to keep. You need to do it properly. Otherwise, the poor things go through a lot of mental um, suffering. You know, uh, mental well-being is just as important as physical well-being. He also had pet snakes in the garden, just happily slithering around in the garden beds. Um, he had Morty, a coastal coral snake, and Georgia, a cross between a diamond python and a jungle python. Again, these are not animals that he sought out. These are people that have brought them to him saying, I just, I can't give this animal justice. And sadly, that's the reality of animal caring. People get very excited, um, particularly about having maybe these more exotic animals, and they haven't really done their homework or really mentally prepare themselves for what is involved in their upkeep and it's not fair on the animal. Um, he also had a 120 acre area for macropods and currently he has about 23 which are a mix of wallabies and kangaroos that are there for rehabilitation. Again these all come to him, doesn't seek them out but there's a need because unfortunately a lot of road accidents happen where many Australian animals are killed in this way but some survive or the little joey in the pouch survives and carers rear them up and Justin's place is where they then learn how to interact with a group and they get their social skills in a group setting before the next release program all gearing them for the wild. So you only care for an animal if you believe that it can be released into the wild. So they're never just kept purely for, um, you know, people. We also saw his saltwater croc, Doris, who came from an abused captive situation. She was only fed chicken mints, and because she had no calcium source from the bones, she had lost many of her teeth. Uh, I did not know this, but crocs can have up to 8,000. They can have up to 8,000 teeth in their lifespan. In their diet, they also need to eat skin and fur, as this is needed in the gut for digestion. And a funny fact is that crocs are known for coughing up hairballs. Didn't know that. Um, what is also cool about the crocs, you may know, is that they have this nicotinic membrane, which they can control over their eyes that act like a pair of goggles. Crocs are just weapons at attack. Justin got in the pen with Doris uh, to give her some environmental enrichment and exercise with a stick a certain length, I would say maybe one and a half meters, but it is quite specific because um, they are very predictable creatures, crocs. He can keep a safe distance back, but as soon as he stepped more towards her, her sleepy stance ended and her croc eyes turned on and that reptilian brain switched on and was in high gear, suddenly ready to attack. It was frightening to see this sudden aggressive arousal that seemed out of her control and just so automatic. Crocs have an 80, 80, percent strike rate success compared to say a lion of around 16 percent so they have evolved to be super good at this um, they've been around since the dinosaur days so this is their expertise what i would really like to get into here though with justin are the dingoes the iconic native wild canid Justin had a male and a female dingo from the Australian Dingo Foundation. Um, so there are permits um, required for having these animals. Um, the Australian Dingo Foundation is working hard to ensure the survival of this amazing animal and its genetic pool. Some info um, is that the dingo in 1788 uh, was recorded by the British settlers. 
and they found it living found them living in Port Jackson which is now the Sydney area with indigenous Australians although the dingo exists in the wild it associates with humans but has not been selectively bred as have other domestic animals I would love to do a proper podcast on the dingo, but from what I learned from Justin is that they are having a hard time as they are listed as feral in Australia as they do kill livestock, but not having them protected is so very unfair. Sadly, the 1080, the poison, is used to kill them, but this is such a destructive method as it kills everything from birds to fish to crocs. It just keeps going. I believe one intended kill ends up being seven, seven or so. And 1080 is actually banned in most countries. So Australia does not make it. The New Zealanders make it. Uh, Australians buy it and use it. So a lot of controversy here with 1080. I would love to understand more on this problem. The dingo is Australia's only terrestrial top predator. So as we know from other examples, the whole ecosystem crashes when they are gone. Top predators, although we may see them as the bad guys, you know... Um, what are examples, you know, sharks and wolves and such, they are so vital. Um, Some farmers are asking for the dingo to be reintroduced on their property or are working with the Australian Dingo Foundation and are having this happen um, to great success. What they find is that like the wolf in Yellowstone National Park in the States, the whole ecosystem becomes rejuvenated with the dingo back. For example, with more dingoes, there are less kangaroos, foxes, rabbits and cats that overgraze and put pressure on the land or predate native animals. Also, there is a connection with their them being more saltbush, if there is more dingoes. And this is a hardy bush that can grow in dry, arid conditions. And without this plant there, there is more land erosion, especially when there is drought and then rain. I need to do more research on this topic of the dingo, but it was amazing to see them in the flesh. My first time seeing a dingo in the flesh. um, And I was grateful for that because we did pass um, Fraser Island, um, where dingoes are known to be found. So I was glad to see a dingo. And they just incredibly intelligent and athletic um it was such an honor to meet them and actually i did one of those fun uh what is your australian animal spirit quizzes recently um and it came up as a dingo for me so apparently loyal and loving is the the main things um so why don't you try it too i'll include in the show notes um where you can do that fun quiz um it asks you questions on like which element do you associate more with and it's quite fun how it comes to the answer um So that wraps up this week's podcast episode. I hope you learned a thing or two. And for me, it has sparked more interesting topics. That's kind of how it goes. You start learning and you want to learn more. Um, And I would love to chase up on some of the things um, that I would like to learn more about. So watch the space and stay tuned. Oliver and I have been making some serious tracks in Layla the Van, crossing the continent into the Northern Territory. And I would just like to say thank you to Queensland. It has been a pleasure. You are an incredible place. You really have such a variety of landscape, wonderful people, and I encourage everybody to come up to exotic and exciting Queensland. Um, For now, saddle up for the real Outback experience. The next episode will just have to be a mystery, but it will be in the Northern Territory. Till then, stay kind, and I will see you at the next stop.